my little Padawans, and welcome to your Monday read of Island of the Blue Dolphins. Uh, quick recap from Friday's chapter. Um, Karana decided she did not want to live in the village anymore, and so she ended up um, burning down all of the different houses, and then she moved just to a rock on the headlands. Um, and she decided she would need weapons, but it is against the laws of Galastat for women to make weapons, so she's worried that something bad's going to happen to her because she's been making them. Um, and so far, she's kind of just been waiting for the ship to show back up. So, let's get started with Chapter 10 of Island of the Blue Dolphins. Summer is the best time on the Island of the Blue Dolphins. The sun is warm then, and the winds blow milder out of the west, sometimes out of the south. It was during these days that the ship might return, and now I spent most of my time on the rock, looking out from the high headland into the east toward the country where my people had gone, across the sea that was never-ending. Once in a while I watched a small object which I took to be the ship, but a stream of water rose from it and I knew it was a whale spouting. During those summer days I saw nothing else. The first storm of winter ended my hopes. If the white men's ship were coming for me, it would have come during the time of good weather. Now I would have to wait until the winter was gone, maybe longer. <laughs> so just in terms of timing, if you recall, um, the first ship came during winter. So it's been an entire year that she has been alone on the island. The thought of being alone on the island while so many suns rose from the sea and went slowly back into the sea filled my heart with loneliness. I had not felt so lonely before because I was sure the ship would return as Matasayip had said it would. Now my hopes were dead. Now I really was alone. I could not eat much, nor could I sleep without dreaming terrible dreams. <laughs> the storm blew out of the north, sending big waves against the island, and wind so strong that I was unable to stay on the rock. I moved my bed to the foot of the rock, and for protection kept a fire going throughout the night. I slept there five times. On the first night, the dogs came and stood outside the ring made by the fire. I killed three of them with the arrows, but not the leader, and they did not come again. On the sixth day, when the storm had ended, I went to the place where the canoes had been hidden and let myself down over the cliff. This part of the shore was sheltered from the wind, and I found the canoes just as they had been left. The dried food was still good, but the water was stale, so I went back to the spring and filled a fresh basket. I had decided during the days of the storm, when I had given up hope of seeing the ship, that I would take one of these canoes and go to the country that lay toward the east. I remembered how Kimki, before he had gone, had asked the advice of his ancestors who had lived many ages in the past, who had come from the island from that country, and likewise the advice of Zuma, the medicine man who had held power over the wind and seas. But these things I could not do, for Zuma had been killed by the Aleuts, and in all my life I had never been able to speak with the dead, though many times I had tried. <laughs> Yet, I cannot say that I was really afraid as I stood there on the shore. I knew that my ancestors had crossed the sea in their canoes, coming from that place which lay beyond. Kimki, too, had crossed the sea. I was not nearly so skilled with the canoe as the men, but I must say that whatever might befall me on the endless waters did not trouble me. It meant far less than the thought of staying on the island alone, without a home or companions, pursued by wild dogs, where everything reminded me of those who were dead and those who had gone away. Of the four canoes stored there against the cliff, I chose the smallest, which was still very heavy because it could carry six people. 
The task which faced me was to push it down the rocky shore and into the water, a distance four or five times its length. I did this first by removing all the large rocks from the front of the canoe. I then filled all these holes with pebbles, and along this path I laid down long strips of kelp, making a slippery bed. The shore was steep, and once I got the canoe to move on with its own weight, it slid down the path and into the water. The sun was in the west when I left the shore. Um, so remember, the sun um, rises in the east and sets in the west, so that means it's almost nighttime. The sea was calm behind the high cliffs. Using the two-bladed paddle, I quickly skirted the south part of the island. As I reached the sand spit, the wind struck. I was paddling from the back of the canoe because you can go faster kneeling there, but I could not handle it in the wind. Kneeling in the middle of the canoe, I paddled hard and did not pause until I had gone through the tides that run around the sand spit. There were many small waves, and I was soon wet, but as I came out from behind the spit, the spray lessened and the waves grew long and rolling. Though it would have been easier to go the way they slanted, this would have taken me in the wrong direction. I therefore kept them on my left hand, as well as the island, which grew smaller and smaller behind me. At dusk, I looked back. The island of the blue dolphins had disappeared. This was the first time that I felt afraid. There were only hills and valleys of water around me now. When I was in the valley, I could see nothing, and when the canoe rose out of it, only the ocean stretching away and away. Night fell and I drank from the basket. The water cooled my throat. The sea was black and there was no difference between it and the sky. The waves made no sound among themselves, only faint noises as they went under the canoe or struck against it. Sometimes the noises seemed angry and other times like people laughing. I was not hungry because of my fear. The first star made me feel less afraid. It came out low in the sky and it was in front of me towards the east. Other stars began to appear all around, but it was this one that I kept my gaze on. It was in the figure we called the serpent, a star which shone green and which I knew. Now and then it was hidden by mist, yet it always came out brightly again. Without this star, I would have been lost, for the waves never changed. They always came from the same direction and in a manner that kept pushing me away from the place I wanted to reach. For this reason, the canoe made a path in the black water like a snake, but somehow I kept moving towards the star which shone in the east. This star rose high and then I kept the north star on my left hand, the one we call the star that does not move. The wind grew quiet. Since it always died down when the night was half over, I knew how long I had been traveling and how far away the dawn was. So by the way, um, I'm not sure how many of you like to go and look at stars, but um, the north, when you look at stars, they actually do end up moving very slowly, not quickly, but throughout like the month, you might notice that stars move if you know where a certain constellation is, and that's because the Earth is rotating. So actually, um, if you know your astrological sign, like Aries or Taurus or Leo, those are actually based on constellations that look like those things and where they are in the night sky during those months. So the constellations you see in the summer are different than the ones you see in the winter because of where the Earth is facing as we travel around the sun. So the North Star is in the north, though, and that star is always visible. And that's why people use it to navigate, because you can always see it no matter what season it is. <laughs> All right. About this time, I found that the canoe was leaking. 
Before dark, I had emptied one of the baskets in which food was stored and used it to dip out water that came over the sides. The water that now moved around my knees was not from the waves. I stopped paddling and worked with the basket until the bottom of the canoe was almost dry. Then I searched around, feeling in the dark along the smooth planks, and found the place near the bow where the water was seeping through a crack as long as my hand and the width of my finger. Most of the time it was out of the sea, but it leaked whenever the canoe dipped forward in the waves. The places between the planks were filled with black pitch, which we gathered along the shore. Um, anyone, it's not as common on Northern California beaches, but in Southern California, where this story takes place, there's actually, if you've ever gone, you might see stripes of black kind of in the sand. Sometimes you, I see it on Northern California. And that's what she's talking about. That's um, pitch and it's um, a thick substance, kind of, it's really oily and kind of, it's kind of gross, honestly, but you can use it to make things waterproof. So that's what she's talking about. Lacking this, I tore a piece of fiber from my skirt and pressed it into the crack, which held back the water. Dawn broke in a clear sky and the sun came out of the waves and I saw that it was far off on my left. During the night, I had drifted south of the place I wished to go, so I changed my direction and paddled along the path made by the rising sun. There was no wind this morning, and the long waves went quietly under the canoe. I therefore moved faster than during the night. I was very tired, but more hopeful than I had been since I left the island. If the good weather did not change, I would cover many leagues before dark. Another night and another day might bring me within sight of the shore toward which I was going. Not long after dawn, while I was thinking of this strange place and what it would look like, the canoe began to leak again. <laughs> this crack was between the same planks, but a, was a larger one and close to where I was kneeling. The fiber I tore from my skirt and pushed into the crack held back most of the water, which seeped in whenever the canoe rose and fell with the waves. Yet, I could see that the planks were weak from one end to the other, probably from the canoe being stored so long in the sun and that they might open along their whole length if the waves grew rougher. It was suddenly clear to me that it was dangerous to go on. The voyage would take two more days, perhaps longer. By turning the canoe back to the island, I would not have nearly so far to travel. Still, I could not make up my mind to do so. The sea was calm and I had come so far. The thought of turning back after all this labor was more than I could bear. Even greater was the thought of the deserted island which I would return to, of living there alone and forgotten. For how many suns and how many moons? The canoe drifted idly on the calm sea while these thoughts went over and over in my mind, but when I saw the water seeping through the crack again, I picked up the paddle. There was no choice except to turn back and toward the island. I knew that only by the best fortune would I ever reach it. <laughs> The wind did not blow until the sun was overhead. Before that time, I covered a good distance, pausing only when necessary to dip water from the canoe. With the wind, I went more slowly and had to stop more often because of the water spilling over the sides, but the leak did not grow worse. This was my first good fortune. The next was when a swarm of dolphins appeared. They came swimming out of the west, but as soon as they saw the canoe, they turned around in a great circle and began to follow me. They swam up slowly and so close I could see their eyes, which are large in the color of the ocean. Then they swam on ahead of the canoe, crossing back and forth in front of it, diving in and out as if they were weaving a piece of cloth with their broad snouts. 
dolphins are animals of good omen, uh, meaning like good luck. It made me happy to have them swimming around the canoe, and though my hands had begun to bleed from the chafing of the paddle, just watching them made me forget the pain. I was very lonely before they appeared, but now I felt I had friends with me and did not feel the same. The blue dolphins left me shortly before dusk, so dusk is nightfall. They left as quickly as they had come, going into the west, but for a long time I could see the last of the sun shining on them. After night fell, I could still see them in my thoughts, and it was because of this I kept on paddling when I wanted to lie down and sleep. More than anything, it was the blue dolphins that took me back home. Fog came with the night, yet from time to time I could see the star that stands high in the west, a red star called Magat, which is part of a figure that looks like a crawfish and is known by that name. The crack in the planks grew wider, so I had to stop often to fill it with fiber and to dip out the water. The night was very long, longer than the night before. Twice I dozed kneeling there in the canoe, though I was more afraid than I had ever been. But the morning broke clear, and in front of me lay the dim line of an island, like a great fish sunning itself on the sea. I reached it before the sun was high, and the sand spit in its tides bore me into the shore. My legs were stiff from kneeling, as the canoe struck the sand and I fell when I rose to climb out. I crawled through the shallow water and up to the beach. I lay there for a long time, hugging the sand in my happiness. I was too tired to think of wild dogs. Soon I fell asleep. And that's the end of chapter 10. I hope you enjoyed it.